So, um, what's this podcast called then? You got to do a welcome to. Oh, oh shit. Uh, well, we we talked about calling it the learning conversation. I think it's kind of good, actually. Yeah. 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 Well, welcome to the learning conversation. This is a podcast brought to you by Nomadic Learning. And the hosts are myself, Matt Burr. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Nomadic Learning. And Tim Sache, the uh, co-founder and CEO of Nomadic Learning. Welcome, everyone. Yeah, so I think we are focused on adult learning, organizational learning, learning and development topics. And each episode, we'll kind of explore some current, current news and talk about some broader trends. Um, first couple episodes will be Tim and I talking with each other and over time we're going to invite various folks from around the profession, chief learning officers, academics, other people who are kind of at the cutting edge of thinking about what does it mean to learn as adults inside organizations and what is the role of learning and development professionals in making that happen and in transforming our profession. Nice one. Let's get started. So each episode, we're going to talk about some news or some developments in the learning development field, or not necessarily in the learning development field. It might be in content, media, digital, more general. Uh, and then we'll kind of think about the implications for uh, learning development more broadly, for the profession of learning development, for the industry, how it's evolving. So this week is somewhat unusual from a startup perspective, which was Degreed's acquisition of Pathgather. Just quick background, if you're not quite familiar with these two guys, um, Degreed and Pathgather are probably the leading providers worldwide of something that are, have been called learning experience platforms. They have seen pretty rapid growth in the last four to five years. Degreed has raised a lot of money, raised about $100 million. Pathgather raised a lot less than that. Um, both of them have established footholds in a lot of big enterprises worldwide. And we'll talk a little bit more exactly what they really are and what we think they are. But um, uh, I mean, effectively, they are a way to get all of your learning content into one place and to deliver learning paths or personalized learning sequences of content for individuals inside the organization. Um, and they have been growing very uh, rapidly. So first thing I want to think about and talk about is kind of why do you think Tim DeGreed made this acquisition and kind of what does it signal about where they are as a company and, and more generally kind of what's happening in the industry around this kind of learning experience platform hmm. phenomenon? Yeah, I mean, maybe just back up one second. I just ask you a quick question or, or just check this. How, how really big a deal do you think this is? Because I was thinking about that myself, and I think it's a big deal for us because we know Pathgather very well. We've come across them a lot before. But then when I was kind of Googling and looking for information, outside of the bubble, it didn't really seem like that much of a big deal. Um, and there's no information on the size of the deal. I don't know if it, how big, if it was a share, if it was all shares, if it was actually a cash acquisition. No no detail at all. So. I mean, how how really big a deal is this? Is is is, is this? It doesn't. It's not a deco GA in my my book. It doesn't. It's not that kind of a. No, deal. it's not. Well, it can't be. I mean, you know, a deco, which is a you know a French HR consulting company, bought General Assembly a couple months ago for four hundred something million dollars. There is no way that Degree 
spent four hundred million dollars on Pathgather. So right. <laughs> we, we can go ahead and clear that up. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I we I have no idea uh, how big it was um, or or what the context was. I think you know obviously. In terms of like the grand cosmic significance or the significance for any kind of M and A or business, it's very very small. I think inside the industry, it's it's an indicator to me that Degreed that Degreed is the most mature startup now in the learning development space um, because Pathgather, you know, was a real competitor, and the, <laughs> I mean they, they they you know a lot smaller. You go though, to, right? They never raised uh, the kind of money that Degreed. Right. No, they've always been smaller. Yeah, that's true. And they've they've competed on. They had a you know everyone has kind of agreed that they had a superior user interface. Um, there are certain elements that Degree's product, like machine learning and AI, has always been a little bit farther ahead on, and is maybe getting farther ahead as they have more capital to spend. Um, but Pathgather has you know they, they they played an important role. They've played an important role in the space and kind of showing how. A really powerful user interface and a really, you know, intense focus on learner experience can drive meaningful growth in sales, even in the absence of, of a huge marketing budget. So, that I think Pathgather showed that there was there was a gap that could be filled by just this intense focus on quality yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so the and the implication I think in terms of going forward is presumably Degreed is going to start to look a lot more like Pathgather um, and. Mm. You think and that's the so main th- one of the main reasons for their acquisition is a superior design, superior product quality. Yeah, uh, I, and a team and the team that built it, right? I mean, Pathgather. Yeah, they're they're a great team. They they they're smart guys that you know um, they they'll they'll you know they're they're going to drive a lot of innovation inside Degreed. So I think that's the main thing. You know, Pathgather has real customers though too true, that that true. that they have beat Degreed out in in a lot of big enterprises. They have they are growing definitely. Uh, so I wonder it'd be really interesting to know if there were competitive bits and if anyone else was interested because that seems to me to be the main motivation for Degreed. So if I was Degreed, I would not want a Cornerstone or a Skillsoft buying Pathgather because that would yeah. give them a, a, a leg up. You know, they're far behind in the minute in this learning experience space and they're losing ground every every day, every week, they're losing ground, but Pathgather would have helped them a lot. So I'd be interested to know if, you know, it'd be very interesting, I'm sure we'll never find out really, but it'd be interesting to know if, a Skillsoft or a Cornerstone or someone like that approached Pathgather first and then Pathgather approached with Agreed or, or somehow how the deal was engineered because yeah, I, that to me seems like the main motivation is to wipe out really the only acquisition target for the old LMS providers to kind of catch up in the learning experience platform space. That seems like right. to me the biggest thing. So yeah, yeah. no, I, I agree. I'm sure there was. I mean, who knows? But there's a lot of folks who are kind of looking at this, looking at the growth of these learning experience platforms, trying to understand what they mean, know that the Pathgather team hadn't that hadn't raised a lot of money. And so, you know, did they have anyone? Did they be, have any real backers? I know they had Bloomberg Ventures. They think they raised a couple rounds and the second one, maybe Bloomberg was in both of them and the second one was, you know, I'm speculating here, but something like three to five million. Obviously, I could open my computer and confirm that. <laughs> but there, there, that's not, it that's wasn't. Speculate. But it, no, it's fine. Yeah, let's it's just speculate. Yeah. yeah, but we know that Degreed has raised. You know, it's it's not speculation to say that Degreed has raised ten to fifteen times more capital than Pathgather. Yeah, seventy million. Uh, this, oh, seventy million. Seventy million in twenty seventeen. I think they raised. 
right in, in a couple so, of rounds 52 or 42 is their most recent round recent right i think they're and they're over 100 total uh, invested and it's you know there's nobody else there's no other startups in the lnd space the only the only other company that's you know, aside from General Assembly, who's adjacent, so let's put them aside. Grovo is the only other company that has come anywhere close to that amount of money, um, and Grovo is not is not faring as well as Degreed or showing the same kind of growth that they have. So I think it's a smart move from Degreed, and it also it, it does it does exactly what you said. It takes out a team that could really help one of the incumbents. It gives them some new clients. It's going to really help with the product. Um, but there's a there's another thing which is like it just gives this sort of sense of momentum behind Degreed that they that they've kind of broken through something here to another to another level um, and and I don't think we've ever we've really quite seen that all the startups that have been flying in, coming into the space nobody has really kind of cracked through and this is not I'm not saying this is reality necessarily but at least the perception is going to be right, now right. that I think the perception is a big thing here for sure yeah. yeah and i think this goes to what i was saying before how much of a big deal really is it because i don't think it you know and, and i don't mean big just financially i mean in terms of the signals that it sends to people in the industry and is it really giving a competitive advantage to degree and so on but um i think perception i think what it looks like to Particularly their competitors. I'm not sure even customers would be paying that much attention that now Degree owns it. But to their competitors and to the market, to investors, it does say a lot. Um, and I think actually maybe as importantly to, to something you touched on at the beginning, to the whole idea of the learning experience platform and the learning experience market, making that more of a thing because it's you know I, I think you asked this question before, but what really is that you know and <laughs> You could interpret it as, as really how different is it from an LMS. It's a wrapper that sits on top of an LMS, but essentially it's it's filling a gap where, where LMSs have failed. LMSs have failed to provide good user experience into the learning that's stored within their systems. Yep. So someone like Degree comes along and puts a wrapper around, but fundamentally, doesn't that mean that if you are one of those traditional providers, if you could just create better user interfaces and better ways into that content, Fundamentally, there is nothing really different to the old school LMSs. I, I may be underplaying. I, I may be underplaying the the functionality and what's really available within a degree or other learning experience platforms. But um, I've always kind of felt that that's partly what they were. It's, it's really just a nice interface that sits on top of an LMS, and I think that that in some ways made their category feel a little weak. It was more like if the LMS providers just um, get their act together they could quite easily compete and they have a lot of built-in advantages to a degree and not least their customer bases right but um but yes yes and no though because i think as you and i know a user interface problem is not a small problem actually it's when you unpeel it it usually comes back to all kinds of it architecture choices talent team like ways of thinking about what you're delivering processes you know etc and in a place like Skillsoft and Sumtotal or Cornerstone, which is probably you know better than most, certainly in terms of thinking about these issues, it's really it's been really really hard. And their yeah. efforts to try to build a degree like thing have been surprisingly lame, like yeah. really lame, yeah. right? And so it's, it's that. And then the the question I think is like, okay, maybe it started as that, and I think it has started as that. And but 
it's and and I know they one of the things is like both the greed and path gather forever have sort of been like well we're not really an LMS you know don't put us in the LMS right. category we're something else right. like they didn't want, and and I understand that you don't because they're not trying to be associated with that technology yeah. and they aren't exactly an LMS right it's true yeah yeah however they are a harbinger of the continuing collapse of the LMS market because the LMS is a product that doesn't really work, really. I mean, it does work for a very narrow set of things, which is like as a system of record for an old school type of e-learning around compliance and a couple other things. But in terms of creating powerful and amazing learning experiences for end users, it's a cataclysmic failure. The LMSs are so deeply entrenched in the IT stack inside the enterprise, they cannot collapse overnight. It's just not going to happen. Right. There's too much. There's too much regulate regulatory risk there's too much compliance risk the, the, the systems are too complicated yeah. however their budget the, the share of budget is shrieking and degree and path rather are you know a major major force in that and i think they're poised now to even to, to right. continue that uh, and i think what you'll see is more of those those um, compliance or record keeping aspect of the lms will move more into Probably general HR tools, and uh, the learning side will move into things like the things like degree. So you can certainly see that while they, you can't take it out of the stack right now, you can see how the functions that they perform, the traditional LMS performs, can be moved in one direction to general HR tools, and in the other direction to things like degree for the for the learning right. experience. Right, and that's exactly what we're seeing in some of our biggest clients. Right, I mean, we we you know one of our big banking clients. Um, they, they use an old, they, they still have a system of record that's an old LMS. It's an old version of an old LMS. Um, and they recently made the, and their, their entire HR suite is moving to Workday. And after long deliberation, they made the decision to not renew and not, not, uh, not kind of move up, upgrade to the new version of the LMS. Mm -hmm. They're moving all the HR data to Workday. Uh, they're going to slowly migrate everything from that old LMS. They're going to sunset it. I mean, it's going to take them five years to sunset it, though. You know, I mean, wow. that's how entrenched these these LMSs are. But they have a five-year process. They're going to get rid of it entirely, and then at the end of the day, Workday is going to become the system of record for data, and Degreed and if, you know, sorry for the plug here, but Degreed and Nomadic are where the actual learning experiences happen, where the actual learners are coming and actually viewing content, interacting, you know, in, in our case, more with each other and teams and organizations and degree case, it's more personalized learning paths and kind of informal learning type experiences. If I'm an LMS provider right now, PathGather's gone. I'm thinking, you know, you have a very <laughs> fundamental problem. Yeah, that, that, was, that was my conclusion to the new segment was I'm glad I'm not an LMS provider. I think that's as much as I can pretty much say, you know, very glad I'm not an LMS provider. Um, I think they're in deep, deep trouble and they don't seem to be doing too much to uh, really solve the problem. I think that I think actually their, their, um, their problems are terminal for the most part, actually. Yeah. Um, here's a quick, quick question to finish this up. When was the last time you were asked about score in a pitch to a client? Scorn compliance, scorn compatibility. Yeah, well, I'd still say probably like one out of every five, right? Or maybe maybe one out of every eight pitches. I have not heard it from That's down time. from a hundred percent though, two right. years ago. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And and it used to be absolutely the first question. Absolutely, are you score compliant? How does this how do how does this come into my LMS? And when we said no, we're not score compliant, and yes, we will integrate with your LMS in very light ways like SSO, and we'll send some data back. 
two years ago, three years ago, that answer was a deal kill. Like that ended the conversation yeah, about half out, the time. It was like a major problem. It was a major yeah. risk for our business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now it's not. it's not at all. Now, actually, now when we get answered the question, we say, okay, this is not, we're going to move on. It's not we're not talking client. to this client. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no point in us wasting our time. We'll wait. They'll come back around in a little while. And there's no point in really pursuing this if that's their, if that's their priority. Um, so that I think that's a good segment out of the in the news to our more broader yes. Uh, yes. philosophical <laughs> topic of the day, which is, uh, you know, what is the, we, we want to I think I think what we want to kind of start with for this opening podcast is talking about what what is the role of learning and development in, in a modern organization and what tools and what capabilities do they need, particularly on the digital side? What what is what is the organization asking of L and D? What do they need out of L and D? What are the strategic pressures? What's going on, and how well equipped, say, is L and D to kind of meet those emerging demands? So, degreed is one thing that kind of personalized learning paths. We know that that's kind of that's that's maturing as a model. It's a tool set that's that's becoming available to L and D. But I think we would argue, and I think that's what we're going to talk about today, that that's really only at best half of the equation in terms of what what a modern L&D function right. needs to look like. I mean, the proportion, I think, depends on like the way you look at it. And it's a, it's a the degree thing and the, and the whole conversation around learning is really interesting and sometimes baffling to me because it is all focused on that individual skill development it's focused on and the, and the whole conversation in the innovation in, in, in learning is also around kind of performance support and how you integrate learning into the work um, uh, and how you you can feed learning to the point of need in, in, in a person's job which I think is all was all about really about individual skill development it's about individual need that that person has at that point in time I think it's all a good direction it's, it's certainly far better than sending off people to do e-learning courses but I think it speaks to this view of what learning's role is that is somewhat skewed and is over focused on the individual and I think it's actually a major weakness of things like Degreed and, 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 and the, the, the similar learning experience platforms and, and also all the LMS providers and pretty much a, a lot of people out there in the whole direction the whole conversation when you go to events it's a major omission the idea of learning as something that helps teams and the org- and the entire organization change and transform and adapt. And learning has a huge role to play in that world. But from a from a conversation in the industry, from the startups in the space, from I think even the way L and D people talk about L and D, that doesn't seem to factor into the conversation. A great deal, and I think, well, maybe you know, give your thoughts on on why learning has a has a a critical function in that kind of world of developing teams and developing an entire organization. But let's also, I want to also talk about why L and D themselves often don't even think of themselves as as as, as having a role there, or, or, right. or yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, let's start with that, actually, because I, I think I'm thinking about this a lot. Like L&D has a kind of long and complex history as an independent function, wh- whether it was an independent function or not, where it sat in HR or before that it sat in various other places. But in a way, you know, learning as a f- as a part of organizational life has a history of, you know, 
a hundred years or more, you know, since the, the advent of the modern corporation. And for the most part, most of the time, and especially in the last 20 or 30 years, the way learning is, development has seen their role is we're going to look at a particular role inside an organization. We're going to help map out the skills and capabilities that someone needs to do that job. We're going to help them decide. We're going to help a manager or someone else in that organization look to see where there are gaps in those skills. And then we're going to supply learning experiences that fill those gaps for the individual. So competency maps, you know, that that entire kind of paradigm of thinking around the role of learning, which is is awesome. Right. I mean, there's no doubt that that is a that's true. But there's always something kind of missing to me in that entire paradigm, which is like then what right then then there's always this moment where then you've you've filled the gaps in the skills now the person goes back into their job right and something kind of magical happens the organization changes outcomes change behavior changes and you can see this in the kind of like endless discourse in in L&D about how do we measure, measure ROI, measure. Yeah, right? right? How do we measure ROI? How right. do we measure ROI? And, and that's because there's this gap. It's like we've, we do this thing with individuals and then they, we send them off in the world and we're like trying to figure out what changed and it's very hard and, and you know, to, to draw a right. real true well, causation is like yeah. basically impossible. There's this underlying um, assumption there that by improving the skills of individuals, ultimately you will improve the performance of the organization. Right, and right. There's, there's very little evidence that that is actually happening, but it's also, it's also only looking at one piece of the puzzle. It's only looking at a very narrow piece of the puzzle and, and ignoring everything else. And I think, I, I think the, the other side of things, developing or, or, um, or using learning to improve the organization or, or um, organizational development or team development, there's this whole other piece that is very hard to define and very hard to categorize and very hard to measure and kind of feels like that as a result it's ignored it's not dealt with in, in yeah or places. i mean you know or it's called organization development but it still ends up falling back into an individual skills type model because people i mean part of it is it was it's very hard to figure out it's been very hard historically to figure out what it means for a team to learn, what it means, for, and let alone what it means for an, an entire organization to learn and how you measure that and what that looks like. And I think digital technology and social and social technology in particular has changed that, you know, that you can do that now in a way that was actually never possible before. And so, so a lot of what, what I think of that kind of history of that focus on individual skill development is because that's what we could control. That's what we could actually do. Uh, it, it wasn't possible to get all 200,000 people in some massive global organization focused around the same kind of learning without just tremendous cost and complexity that no one could sustain or bear and that just wasn't wasn't worth it. Whereas now that is possible. You have, we. there's this increasing pressure and it's around, you can hear it in words like, you know, we need to be more agile. We need to collaborate better. We need to, you know, we need to move faster. We need to be more adaptive. To we need to trans digital transformation. All of those things are not things that you can do on your own as an individual. So you cannot become more agile on your own. Agility is something that happens with a team. It's it's a process for working together in a group of people. And and you know, you can argue. I think that. An, org an entire organization can be more or less agile as well, even very, very large organizations, though it's not quite as tangible or as, as simple as measuring at a team level. But at a, at a basic fact is you can't teach agility 
really. I mean, you can teach a couple basic skills. You can, you can the teach people how to of agility. Yeah. But, but that's right. a different thing to teaching people to become more agile. Right. As a team, because like you say, you don't, agility isn't something that you do in isolation, the same as collaboration. So you can teach concepts of it, but that isn't any measure of or any uh, indication that agility as a team is improving because you've taught some people in that team some concepts of agility or collaboration. Right, right. And in fact, like the, the, the kind of strange paradox of something like Degreed is the better it gets at developing personalized learning paths, right, so that everybody is starting to really get delivered, AI is delivering them exactly the thing that they need for their next thing, and it's drawing on this pool of you know millions of pieces of content, so everyone's experience is unique to themselves. It's actually damaging because instead of bringing people together to learn you know, and, and especially at a broad level, bringing five, ten, fifteen thousand, hundreds of thousands of people together to learn something in common, everyone's going off on their own paths, everyone's going in their own direction. Degreed is making it so that that's not true. You're getting much more personalized learning experiences, and which is which is great in some ways, great. right? Yeah, yeah. But it, ha it the question that the CEO is actually coming to CLOs with the biggest question, especially around things like digital transformation or we need to be more agile and so on and so forth, is really much more around alignment, is around learning together to, to, to see the world differently, to speak, to frame problems differently, to look at data differently, but to look at it differently than we have, but in, this, <laughs> but in a way that we can all understand each other and actually, you know, communicate, collaborate, work together better. And so, that, that, I think, oh, is where we kind of look at that entire sort of segment of the L&D market that is underdeveloped, to put it, to put it mildly, and, and in fact, kind of ignored. Or, or, or I think you touched on two angles of it there as well. There is the angle of these kind of, and I, they're very interlinked, of course, but there's this angle of the skills or capabilities that are team capabilities. But then I think that there's this aspect to kind of mindset and how the world is changing. And I think that that is becoming so important because of the kind of dramatic change that we're seeing. I know we we kind of get sick of ourselves mentioning like the rate of change and we get sick of other people mentioning it. But the I think it's 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 true and it's it's a very real challenge for organizations to have a, a to change the way that they view themselves and their organization in a shifting shifting economy or a shifting context um, and I think those two things are like the two things that learning has a, a, a really important role in in helping the organization get a handle on but they're like we said they're not really doing it at all it's it's not only the kind of group skills it's also this kind of group mindset and group way right. team way of thinking about the world and thinking about the organization's place in that in those changes yeah that's so it's so true and then that that second thing, that kind of mindset shift, it's not necessarily around like alignment around a particular message or way of thinking. It's actually, but it is something that you can't learn on your own for a couple of different reasons. One is until you are forced, like I am right now, to talk about something to someone else in conversation, it's often very hard to even know what you think. And, and that articulation can't be meaningless. It can't be into a void of like a comment box that no one's ever going to read or care about. It has to be in some context that, that matters so that you've thought about it carefully. And like if you think back on any good learning experiences you've had with other people, 
there's some moment where you're going to be called on by the facilitator or the teacher and you have a little bit of nervousness and you're trying to get your thoughts together. That that feeling of trying to get your thoughts together and, and then articulate something and hearing how it sounds, you know, by watching other people react to it, that's essential, an essential component of how human beings learn, period, full stop, anything. Well, the other important thing, I think, is that it's not just understanding how the world is changing. It's not just understanding about that mindset shift. It's understanding it in the context of your organization. So if you're just interpreting it as an individual, you're going to get millions of different, so well, you've got as many interpretations as there are people in your organization, right? Unless they are all talking about it, unless they are all learning about it together as a team, as an organization. Uh, because it's not, you're not just figuring out what's going on, you're figuring out what it means for your organization. So that has to be done as a team. But um, what, what do you think that means for, let's not say degree, but for learning experience platforms? In terms of where their lines, I mean, I think where where they where they where they make sense still, you know, where they make sense and where they are going to thrive is in this model where you have a centralized buyer of some kind of centralized learning and development technology that needs to spread across an entire organization, uh, like an LMS, um, and and needs to just kind of sit in the background there, <laughs> and and people are going to come use it as they need it uh, to learn particular things, and individuals are going to have completely and radically different experiences with it, but it's not. It is not going to be drive the, the engine that is driving alignment or transformation, you know, in particular parts of the enterprise or across the entire enterprise. It's a it's a background learning technology. It's a far superior, I would say, background learning technology than than the LMS is, and will probably within three to five years will be vastly superior than the LMS. However, there is this increasing need where people are going to need to build specific stuff for large groups of people that's high profile and that really bring like anything that involves collaboration <laughs> that it's it's hard to see how that model yeah. works and, and, and in danger. some ways that's the danger yeah. of a degree doesn't it because it's positioning itself and i think viewed in the industry similarly the way the lms was before as the platform for all learning challenges they, they don't try and differentiate and in fact very explicitly i read in the in the, in the press releases for the path gather acquisition they were mentioning explicitly, they were saying, you know, Degreed is the, the solution to align learning with your enterprise goals and enterprise objectives, that, that idea of aligning with enterprise objectives. So they're very explicitly moving into that space of alignment, actually, when, and, and I think as we're, 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 I don't know if we're demonstrating, but as we are <laughs> highlighting, viewing Degreed as a solution for those types of challenges or any learning experience platform where individuals are going off in their own paths to find their own learning constantly is a very risky approach when you're trying to create alignment, an ineffective approach most likely. So that that the just the very idea of and I think it's I think it's where where um, investors are going to push them and I think it's where they want to go, which is to kind of claim that broader space as possible that they can be the learning platform for all kinds of learning challenges is actually, in some ways, is actually dangerous for them as well because the things that they could do very well that we're talking about, you know, if they focus on those areas, that's a huge market. If they can really take that and own that from the LMS, that's an enormous market. But if they're trying to go into some of these other areas, they're going to get not great results. What are, and people are going to start to kind of feel like they're a little bit like the LMS because they're not solving the challenges. They're not, you know, you're going to get people who've gone in there for leadership development and they've had to click through 
20 or 30 pieces of content before they find anything that's mm-hmm. actually any good for them. Mm-hmm. So I think there is there's a real risk for for, for them in, in their own for themselves in actually uh, going as broad as they can, not only you know as well as for the industry itself. I agree, and I think for L and D professionals inside organizations, there's there's a risk as well. You know, I mean, I think the best L and D organizations we know they're focused on having their own people be closer to the business, closer to business problems, uh, more consultative in the way they're kind of thinking about designing programs, really understanding what business needs are, working back from them, building learning experiences that, that you know, really aggressively try to achieve those outcomes. Um, kind of, you can sort of maybe sort of develop some paths on the greed, but, but you're dealing with a very, very narrow range of, of possibilities there. And from an L&D practitioner's perspective, if that's the only tool in your tool set, really, and the other tool is LMS, and and you know, and the other tool is face-to-face training. You're you're not going to be able to achieve. You're not going to be able to solve the problems the business is asking you to solve. There's just there's just no way. Um, which is why I think. I mean, I don't know if this is the right place to get into this because I think we'll talk about this a lot in other places. But that's why we we keep we're seeing the emergence of of what I think we've been calling like the sh- shadow L and D departments, right? Which is like people who are taking on learning and development roles inside particular functions that do not report into the traditional HR or learning development structure, that they report into the functional area. And and I think the biggest one where we're seeing this is marketing. Right. Um, but it's happening in other places too. But marketing is 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 because marketing is being bombarded by such rapid and and and, and serious changes from and their need to transform right. digitally is so intense and their learning needs are so intense and so quick and so voluminous. Um, if they're being offered something like an LMS solution or a degree type solution, it isn't anywhere close to solving the problem that a CMO of you know a fortune. But they do recognize that it is a learning challenge. Interestingly, don't they? More often than not, you know, they. It's not like they see it as just a change management thing. They see that it has a major learning component, and that digital learning, especially, has a central role to play because of the scale of the challenge and the speed of the change they need to make. Right. So it's it's interesting that they. They recognize, it's almost like they really recognize, perhaps more than L&D does, the role that learning needs to play in making sure the marketing is adapting at the speed of whatever they need to adapt at. Um, well, because they're but, seeing it, they see it right. every day in, in, the, in business results that aren't where they need them to be. <laughs> you know, they're, they're buying tools. People aren't using them or they aren't using them correctly. They're, they're, you know, they have this massive amount of data and analytics and that data is not being used wisely uh and so they yeah so they they are i think the smartest cmos absolutely it's they're recognizing this kind of learning component they're recognizing it as a need for continuous learning um as well but the other thing the cmos are very sensitive about is you know the time and attention of their users so they 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 don't you know pulling people into big long seminars taking them out of work for long periods of time and or putting them into you know content systems where they may or may not be getting good content or, or you know oftentimes aren't especially in an lms but even in degree you get a lot of bad content in degree because there's just so much of it there's you know they have quality problems all across that library and in, in some ways that's not really they're not pretending to be a like total curation engine. I don't think. I mean, maybe they are, but like, you know, if they're claiming that all three, five, whatever million pieces of content in there are high quality pieces of learning, 
it's just that's just not possible. It's just not that <laughs> uh, we're not paying attention, right? And and somebody like a CMO does like they you know and this happens again and again in organizations where we're talking to CMOs. It's like our people despise digital learning. Yeah, I mean we've had a major major bank client, another major bank client that would not use the term digital learning or online learning because they knew that that meant a certain thing to everybody in their organization, and it meant something very negative. So. Yeah, let's just step back a bit though. What do you think that means for like current L&D then? Particularly in terms of, does it, does it mean, I mean, perhaps the answer could be that it means that they do need to kind of break off and there is a L&D function that is for performance support, that is for compliance, that is for basic skill development, and there's a separate learning department that's more strategic? Or is it that within the central learning function, there are just different roles and, and some of those roles don't quite exist yet and some of the skills that people need, they haven't quite got so how do you think that might shake out? I mean, I think, I think an interesting analogy is what's happened to the CIO and the IT um, the function over the last 10 to 15 years under the pressure of the cloud. Um, IT went from being, you know, however long ago, 15, 20 years ago, entirely centralized. You know, they controlled all purchasing choices. They controlled everything about the stack. <laughs> At some point, at some level, was control and and the applications. Everything that was happening was coming through the CIO's office. And as the cloud, as you started to see more cloud applications, as you started to see you know things like Salesforce and now all these marketing automation platforms and you know HR tools, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The IT has lost its ability to control from a budgetary perspective, from a decision making perspective, these these all of these applications in particular because. They couldn't. They weren't close enough to the business problem, and there were these new tools that were coming out that were closer. Uh, so they, the best IT departments have evolved, and they have built cloud infrastructure. They built microservices type infrastructure where there are embedded team. You know, they're probably embedded developers, embedded teams who are close to business groups, who are close to the marketing function, who are helping them make good IT decisions that are consistent with basic principles, right? So that they're not as rogue as it, as it was maybe five to seven years ago, but that they have really high levels of control over what the experience is, what applications they're choosing, why they're choosing them, how they're configuring them, all of that. So you see like a lot of the decision-making power has, has devolved outside of the CIO's office and the CIO has, that function has had to become much more Kind of decentralized and 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 folk closer to closer to the business. I think right. something similar has to happen for for L and D, and it is mm-hmm. happening. You know, most L and D professionals are now moving closer and closer to being close to real business teams, and they're helping to you know, and they're in there to help solve learning specific problems. Now, there's mm-hmm. not a whole model yet of like how do they build how rapidly they build, build yeah, right. learning experiences that include great and powerful social experiences that you know get people's attention that bring the executives in and the C-suite in in a in a way that's both efficient with their time but also really effective in terms of learners. So th- that's where I see it moving. And, and and in in a lot of ways, I think that plays more to the traditional strength of L&D because that means thinking really carefully about instructional design. That means thinking really carefully about the experience the learners are having, about assessment, about how you're kind of like a lot of these more kind of hardcore uh, educational pedagogical type topics don't really matter. Like a lot of that's been outsourced to the machines and AI and degreed, right? Whereas like what we're talking about here in terms of their ability to service 
parts of the organization, it needs those skills, those horror, those those traditional. Well, when it, when it's when skills. it is a strategic goal or it is it is some kind of um, organizational um, objective that needs to be reached. Yes, that's true. I mean, I think that they have to. They, you know, they the machine can't fill that role when the goal is something about adapting to a changing landscape. You know, when it's like adapting to an individual's learning needs and learning that that person is not great at this thing, but is great at this thing and serving content in that way, the machine can do that. But I think that you're absolutely right that that, that, that isn't going to be the case when it's a team or organizational strategic problem that you're trying to solve. But I'd like to go back to talking about the, the, the roles and particularly looking at this from the CLO's perspective. I think that kind of what you're saying there makes me think about their role and how that their role is going to become more about really truly like understanding the business, but then building an organization at Andy that has the capabilities to address those kinds of challenges through a learning lens. And it's, it's kind of very interesting and very different to what you might have thought a CLO's job might have been before, you know? And I think that, that, that function of building a team that can go in and be almost kind of like, uh, uh, almost kind of like a project team that's assembled based on different challenges. You have this pool of talent that might be that might be front-end developers, UX designers, um, uh, learning experts. You've got the content experts, people who can create beautiful animations, etc. And you're kind of putting that team together who can then go and understand a challenge that a particular area of the business is, is facing and then build a learning experience for that challenge. And I, it, it completely may not shake out in that way, but it's, I think it's very interesting in thinking about like the CLO's role in particular and how their role looks to be shaping up towards something like that, where it's just mostly about truly deeply understanding challenges around the business and building capabilities within learning to go and address those challenges um, Yeah, in that kind of way. Yeah, well, and, and, and I would add one thing at the end of that, which is the data and analytics that you need to show that that it, and, and the demand from these business leaders in terms of the type of data, the quality, the quantity, the, the, the granularity of data that they're expecting, it's just so far beyond what like a traditional LMS type analytics model gives you that that they have to have, that has to be a part of the, the skill set. Or again, like, you know, for, for the CMOs, especially, I mean, CMOs, you know, like they, they're not going to, they're not going to take it uh, for granted that like completion percentages equal success right. ever, quiz, right? I mean, quiz score, yeah. or yeah, quiz course, sure. right? I mean, yeah, sure. you, you're talking about just orders of magnitude of volume more granularity in terms of the data that you need to give um right for sure but but to, but one thing that i'm thinking about as we're talking about this and the, the the roles and that ideal team that might have all these data experts and content production experts how many organizations can retool their lnds in that way i mean how many lnd functions are big enough i mean it's not easy you know and and you're yeah it's it's i think but i think that that's what you might see as as you get more of the um, transactional learning being done by machines, by things like Degreed, by self-service, by just people coming in and just saying, you know, I, I need this, and they're just going to find it through their experience platforms. Um, when that, if that truly starts to work, then I think that there is a there's a lot of people in learning pumps that are kind of essentially still doing that in some way. It, it feels like in a lot of the bigger organisations we work for, 
there's the number of people within the L&D department who could be doing, you know, who, who, who to, to suggest that the budget's there to pay enough people to really do this kind of stuff. But it's just they're focused on a different kind of thing and they're still kind of stuck in maybe a bit of an old, old way of delivering learning and they're not moving across to this kind of type of thing yet. Well, and I, and I think it points to another thing, but I think this is another topic for a different podcast, but there are very few professional development opportunities for L&D people that are preparing them for this need right now, right? I mean, if you, you, I think you and I have the same experience. We go to the same conferences. I, I leave those conferences feeling utterly baffled and confused because there's such a, everybody has a different perspective on everything. There's like a, a thousand different, like kind of small pieces of technology all competing for your attention and it just feels like this cacophonous mess and and then where else do you go i mean that's it you go to events a couple times a year you go to some talks like that's all you have and you're basically responsible on your own for trying to find out in through all of that mess like what makes sense for you and i think that i mean that's why i feel like most interesting L&D departments, they're starting to make real serious investments in the professional development of their own people. It's an ongoing, continuous, digital, like collaborative learning because there's this gap. Like, and, and that, you know, that I think is, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. I think the conferences and the kind of, especially vendor-centric conferences. I mean, it's not even vendor-centric. I mean, some of the ones that are not vendor-centric are still yeah. What did you say? Confused and baffling. That's how you feel when you leave them. You, yeah. Are yeah, you sure about and, that? And a little bit seasick. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think that this is all very interesting that I think that we, we're kind of like almost coming full circle here and that we're talking about how learning needs to solve organizational challenges and how it needs to support the strategy of the business and how it needs to focus on this kind of changing of the mindsets and, and changing of the way people think about their roles within the organization. And I think that where learning needs to start with all that is kind of with themselves. Like really what is the role of learning today and, and how do they kind of start developing that shared understanding and that shared language of what it is that they do and the value that they bring to the business and how can they start to articulate that to these functional heads who really have a pretty bad view of mostly of what learning does, you know? So um, it's interesting that probably a lot, of, lot of, what a lot of organizations need to do and what, like you said, some of the best organizations we work with are already doing is start looking at themselves first. And, and yes, part of it, as we start at the beginning, is about individual skill development. Part of it is about people being better at certain skills that they need to, that are kind of new to L&D. But a lot of it is about thinking about or changing the way you think about what learning can do for the organization and changing their way of thinking about learning. I mean, I think that that's one of the things that baffles me the most when I go to those conferences. You have some conversations with some L&D folks about learning and their view of learning seems to be very different to what I think learning can do in the organization and kind of limited. And I think that that's where you need to start to change that and then they can perhaps do that for other functions in the organization as well. And there is, you know, the thing, I think that on the good side, there is this rich heritage to draw on, right? A lot of the things that L&D people are best at, like designing a day-long, powerful, in-person learning experience and, and delivering it, facilitated for people who are good at sparking a great conversation or coming up with activities that are really, like, surprising people in an unexpected way. And at the end of the session, everyone has this kind of, like, aha moment. That 
is at the core of, of what L&D has always been best at. The question is, how do you bring that core skill set into a more scalable and digital age? And what kind of tools do you need to help support you do that, to do that? And because the volume and the pace and the, uh, the scale of what's being asked of how we're trying to need to bring that skill set into the digital age is just unprecedented. That's this, you know, that's to me is this tension. Right. Yeah. yeah. 